time for Healthy Talk Radio. Healthy Talk Radio with Julian Whitaker, MD, America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's First Lady of Health. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Get in on the phone lines now by calling 1 800 307 3002. Now, here's Dr. Whitaker and Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, they say it's inevitable. Uh, if you're a lower-income adolescent, by the time they reach the age of 12, better than one in three overweight. They say it's all about junk food, fast food everywhere, lots of sedentary uh, lifestyles. Uh, uh, it's just all too difficult uh, for teenagers to maintain optimal weight these days. Well, a lot on our plate to uh, talk about today, including motivation. Knowing that Dr. Whitaker, um, our resident medical expert, America's wellness doctor, has written about motivation in his latest book about weight loss. We'll talk about the latest research that money can prod you to lose weight. We'll also talk about it's time for your flu shot, or is it? What are your alternatives? We'll talk about that and more. Open up the phone line to talk to you, your health care questions at 1-800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Our mission, to provide you that health care news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else, brings America's wellness, Dr. Gene Whitaker, MD, to us. Dr. Whitaker, hello and welcome. Good morning, Deborah. What a beautiful day. You having a beautiful day, too? Absolutely. You know, people don't realize that we're not in the same studio. In fact, on opposite ends of the country. <laughs> it doesn't sound that way, no, does it? No, the wonders of technology. <laughs> well, speaking of the wonders of technology, this is interesting. A plant biologist at the University of California, Berkeley, um, has developed a test where he can test a strand of hair to determine how much corn or how much soy is in your diet by looking at the form of carbon that comes from either corn or soy. And what this uh, doctor, Dr. Todd Dawson, is now revealing, that most Americans on average, 69% of the carbon in their hair comes from corn because of the high fructose corn (laughs) syrup is so prevalent these days. And close second is soy because of, of the soybean oil in the processed foods that our hair is now revealing that most of us consume diets just predominantly rich in corn and soy, Dr. Whitaker. Well, I I think I already knew that. (laughs) But that's news you can use, I think. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to use that. Well, what what this researcher goes on to say, which is is up up your path, um, uh, is that we're not getting enough of the good fats. And, of course, oh, our goodness. hair reveals that, that we're getting so much soybean oil, so much high-fructose corn syrup, um, that you know, our, 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 our very biochemical balance is upset. And uh, here's an NIH researcher, Dr. Hibbane, who says it's possible that most of the diseases of modern civilization, depression, heart disease, and obesity, 
are linked to this radical and dramatic shift in the composition of the fats in the food supply, Dr. Whitaker. Now, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that is something you can use because anybody can take fish oil capsules. And consequently, by taking the fish oil capsules, you are going to eliminate a plethora of potential problems, and including uh, depression, anxiety, and other. Uh, like last hour, we were talking about Dilantin and how it can help with depression, anxiety, uh, uh, anger outbursts, ADD, phobias, and things of this nature. But fish oil can eliminate the source of this as well on a more gradual basis and uh, can simply uh, calm down everything in the in the emotional sphere uh, simply by the nature of the oil uh, you know depositing itself into mm-hmm. the nervous system and we just don't get enough fish oil every time I say that I reach for my bottle of fish oil and take some but, but and what virtually every time I go out to, for dinner mm-hmm. was out last night with friends for dinner I had salmon it, it's a it's almost a ritual you know, I will all whenever I can. I will order fish or salmon in restaurants. But I mean, what a visible tool! We're going to talk today about about motivation. Where if you can mm-hmm. take a single strand of a patient's hair and show them, you know, just to what predominance their diet is, you know, composed of of processed foods and and how deficient they are in such an important nutrient, and a single strand of hair revealing that, Doctor Whitaker. That is incredible. <laughs> Is it, you know, is, you know, when we look at, at the technological advances we've made, now this is technological, not so much scientific, but technological advances of being able to determine what people are eating by looking at a strand of hair and think that you would, would tell that to someone a hundred years ago. Right. You know, this unbelievable Mm -hmm. ability, the technological ability of being able to assess, uh, food intake. Right. Uh, from a single strand of hair. That's incredible. Of course, um, uh, the side note to this, the P.S. to this, is you know, so much of the corn and soy in this country is now genetically modified. Do mm-hmm. we really know <laughs> what it means for a generation to eat genetically modified corn and soy, Dr. Whitaker? We're going to wind up with genetically modified hair. <laughs> for sure. Right. For sure. Well, this is intriguing. It comes from the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They took a look at the fact that there's uh, well over 2 million doctor visits in the U.S. each year uh, due to diarrhea. And they found that a very common water-soluble dietary fiber obtained from the seeds of the guar plant, guar gum fiber, was effective better than 85% of the time as an anti-diarrhea agent, Dr. Whitaker. And that's, I have used guar gum in my patients. I've used other forms of fiber. I think most people don't realize that when you have very loose, watery stools, that fiber will help. And the, and what they don't understand, they, they equate fiber with increasing diarrhea. But actually fiber would reduce diarrhea because the fiber would soak up the water or soak up the liquid that is uh, that is required for the diarrhea to occur. So therefore, rather than than uh, a diarrhea, you'll have soft form stool uh, if there's a substantial amount of fiber on board. Um, but that's the guar gum would reduce it how much? 
Ninety percent. Eighty-five point three percent. Eighty-five percent. I mean, there's a slam dunk. You don't need um, the Ducalocs. Uh, you know, you don't need uh, the the um, medications to slow down the transit sure. time. Sure. You just need the natural um, elements that the intestinal tract works with, and that would be the fiber, and that would take care of the problem. Excellent information. Well, we are going to uh, soon be sharing what's going on at the uh, Natural Products East Expo. Thousands of exhibits. Oh, we're going to have fun, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. But it, it really brings to mind what composes the health journal in today's Wall Street Journal. It's all, all about new respect for a humble juice, that there's two new published studies in the European journals about simply apples. You know, we, we hear so much about pomegranates and, and all these exotic fruits. University of Massachusetts uh, finding that apple juice improved cognitive function. Two new studies in the European literature finding that regular apple consumption reduces the, the risk of asthma. Um, Cornell University in particular, I guess because that's apple-growing country up there, Dr. Whitaker. Right. Finding that, that the phytochemicals in apples, particularly in the peels, were tarred cancer cell growth that you know we tend to look for the exotic fruits and perhaps uh, we need to look no further than the apple harvest this time of the year I remember once uh, you know the adage of apple day keeps the doctor away sure. I remember once that um, thinking that if you and I got the idea from a lady who lived up to be a hundred and every night she had a small glass of sherry mm-hmm. All right, I said okay I'm going to develop a habit like that. I want to eat two apples a day every day. Mm-hmm. I did not realize how hard it was to keep that up, two apples a day. <laughs> it's a lot of work eating an apples. Now I'm down to one. But I will stay with one apple a day, um, you know, for as long as I can. Because it's just apples and, the, uh, you know, the fruits and vegetables, you know, are the, would be the mainstay of these healthy products. It gives you fiber, particularly the fibrous ones like apples. Oh, yes. They have pectin in it. Right. Um, uh, will give you a mainstay of things um, that would help you benefit. Now, I have a, I'm kind of a strange guy, there. I don't know if you've noticed this over the years, but um, I eat an apple the way a horse does. I eat the core. I eat the seeds. The only thing I don't eat is the stem. See, I do, I do the same. Always have. Do you? I love apples. You're always strange, too. I had no idea you were so strange. <laughs> always eating the, eating the whole apple. Always have. And, and I think one of the reasons I started doing that, it gives you less to have to throw away. Well, that's true, too. That's yeah. true, too. We'll be back to talk about motivation. How do you get it with Dr. Julia Whitaker on Healthy Talk Radio. America's number one source for healthcare information, news, and medical breakthroughs. Making America healthy coast to coast. It's Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray and Dr. Julian Whitaker. America's wellness doctor joining us today in an article um, coming out of uh, Research Triangle published in the current Journal of Occupational Environmental Medicine has me thinking. And I know of no better person to ask about motivation than somebody who in his clinical practice um, has been motivating just literally tens of thousands of people to make lifestyle changes. And, of course, what we talk about on a regular basis requires bottom line 
You have to be motivated to make those lifestyle changes. America's Wellness Doctor joining us today to talk about an issue near and dear to your heart. Even a little money will cause people to lose weight, according to this newly published study, Dr. Whitaker. Isn't that a fascinating study? It is. <laughs> uh, they, they found that um, <clears throat> in 200 overweight employees in North Carolina, uh, one group received no incentives, while the other group received only 7 to $14 uh, for each percentage point of weight loss. Um, and those that received the money did substantially better. Um, and the amount of money is not relevant. The amount of money was almost insignificant. But just putting up the uh, ability to, be, to get some kind of uh, testament reward mm-hmm. for their effort motivated them to stay on track. You see, I, it always interests me that um, uh, um, New Year's resolutions are almost never continued. Uh, you make them and you break them in the first two or three weeks because there's no consequence. Right. And I want to say consequence, there's no consequence pro or con. There's no positive consequence, except, of course, you would have get the benefit of doing it, but there's no additional you know, tangible evidence of accountability, um, other than the benefits of the uh, of the uh, New Year's resolution. But you you throw in either a negative consequence or a positive consequence, such as this, then you're truly motivating. People do things for reward, or they don't do things for fear of punishment. Uh, and so, consequently, you can use those forms of um, uh, uh, motivating aspects in anything you want to do. In my book, uh, The Whitaker Wellness Weight Loss Program, I put in a whole chapter on instant discipline. Uh, whereas this particular article is using a positive accountability uh, form, I used a negative accountability form. And I'd say, okay, let's say you want to stop smoking. You write out a contract. I, Julian Whitaker, agreed not to smoke or take a single puff of a cigarette for the next two weeks. Now, when I say the next two weeks, you need to put a time on it. Don't say the rest of your life. But you need to put a time on it, and that time needs to be comfortable with you. Something that you can see a beginning and an end to so that you have confidence that you're going to be able to do it. If you say, for the next six months, that's too long. For the next day, that's too short. A week would be a good time for smoking. Because people can say, okay, I can force myself to not smoke for a week. Sure, sure. Then you make yourself accountable. If I so much as take a single puff of a cigarette, and I am a lifelong Republican or I am a lifelong Democrat. So let's take the lifelong Democrat. If I take a single puff of a cigarette, I agree to give $1,000 to the Republican National Committee. So you're giving money to someone you do not wish to give money to. So that would be a an accountability contract that will work. And interesting, Deborah, um, I see a lot of patients who smoke. And I say, do you want to stop smoking? He says, well, I would really like to. I says, that's not the question. Do you want to stop smoking? Well, I'm thinking about it. And, you know, this kind of contract would never work with anyone 
who will not come forth and say, I want to stop smoking. It's almost, that's the essence of making the contract. Consequently, I've had very few people who smoke sign a contract like this because they really don't want to stop smoking. With weight loss, it's easier. Um, you know, you can do the weight loss thing for longer periods of time, and I've done this myself frequently. Um, I say, okay, for the next month, I, Julian Whitaker, will not eat any bread or desserts. If I do, I will send $2,000 to the ACLU. I don't like the ACLU. Uh, that's not that doesn't mean that everybody uh, has to agree with my opinion of the ACLU. That's not the point. The point is I picked out an area uh, or an organization which I would not uh, like to support. And so consequently, I um, have an accountability uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, factor. Sure. The second thing about this particular um, uh, discipline item is you make it public. You know, you sign your contract, you have someone witness your contract, you put it on your internet, on your MySpace, or you let, you put, tack it up on the, on the bulletin board at your work. Let everybody know that you are going to send money to someone if you smoke a cigarette in two weeks. And, uh, it works. It's very easy. Now, I've done this, uh, um, um, thing, uh, with myself several times. And sometimes I've lost. I remember one time in November, I, in an impulsive way, agreed to not have any desserts or sweets until the beginning of the year. Oh, oh ouch! <laughs> and in the, and, or I was going to send five hundred dollars to the Clinton Legal Defense Fund. Now, I didn't particularly like the Clinton Legal Defense Fund, and that's not the issue. But the issue was that was my preference of someone I did not want to send money to. Well, I got halfway through November. I said, wait a minute. I'm going to want to celebrate these holidays with some feasting. So I sent off the $500. <laughs> and your pumpkin pie. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I'm sending you this money. Not because I, I, I think I just very succinctly said, I'm sending you this money because I lost a bet. And I got a thank you note back several weeks later. <laughs> but that will work. You know, if you make sure. the accountability powerful enough, and public enough, mm-hmm. it's amazing how disciplined you can become. You know, compliance is, is, is a weighty issue in medicine. I'll never forget, um, uh, you and I both know Tom Vonderbrink. You know, he came from the world of pharmaceutical nutrition and still has many ties to the pharmaceutical industry. Sure. And he uh, told me one evening, we were, we were talking about you know, compliance and motivating people and making lifestyle changes um, uh, personally. And uh, you know he reported back that the the inside figures in the industry that the average person taking a cholesterol lowering medication only takes it about forty five days because of the side effects that the compliance to take prescription drugs unbeknownst to to the masses is very poor because people you know say after a couple of weeks I don't feel good I'm not taking this anymore yeah the statin drugs are like that in Canada I think they where they get it free. They only take it for 25 days. I believe that I read a study showing that. Um, but it's just because, and this is not even where they're paying for it. But, um, yeah, if you're doing something that is making you feel bad, you're going to stop. And rightly so. But um, uh, the, the institution of a habit 
you know, is is more difficult um, than simply remembering to take a pill because the institution of a habit is going to require that you ingrain that habit. And the second thing is, particularly with something like smoking, uh, the institution of um, non-smoking, you're going to go through withdrawal. And that withdrawal is going to be uh, two weeks. Um, And I used to smoke in high school, not in high school, not so much in high school, but in college Mm -hmm. and in medical school. And um, I can't remember smoke. I don't smoke now. But um, I remember we had a a program like this at at my college. I went to Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And so the psych department came into one of the fraternity houses and offered us a stop smoking plea program. I joined it. And they were going to do it in a positive way, the way that we talked about here. By giving us, uh, we give them Mm -hmm. uh, so much money and then they give it back to us over time. I want to hear the end of this, so we'll be back okay. with uh, more of Dr. Julian Whitaker talking about motivation, making lifestyle changes on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but it might just be good for your health. Now, here's Julian Whitaker, MD, America's wellness doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's first lady of health. With our lines open to talk to you about motivation, how do you motivate yourself to make those lifestyle changes that may be (laughs) so overwhelming? Speaking with America's Wellness Doctor, we invite you to join us. Maybe something that's worked for you. You are always welcome to pick up the phone and join us with your health care questions at 1-800-307-3002. And um, uh, the discussion that you'll turn to Dartmouth University, uh, they came, I guess, to your fraternity with uh, a little financial incentive to stop smoking. Sure. Yeah. And uh, me and my and three or four of my fraternity brothers, we took it. We forked up, I think, fifty bucks or seventy bucks, which was, you know, for a college kid, that was that was a lot of money. And then we would, if we step, if we didn't smoke for a week, we got back uh, twenty bucks. You know, so then we se- sequentially got back the money, and all of us completed it. At the end of two months, we had not. Uh, smoking any cigarettes. The ne- very next day, one of my fraternity brothers started smoking again. <laughs> and I didn't, but it was almost as if he just couldn't wait for this thing to be over so right. he started smoking right. again. Right. But, I mean, over the years, you've seen so many people, and you spoke earlier of the alumni. I mean, there's obviously people who have made this their lifestyle, who will never go back to the smoking and not exercising. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. They're the ones, and I tell my patients this. I say, listen, you need to make what you're learning here a religion. You need to... You need to involve yourself as passionately in this activities as you do anything else, and you will get benefit. But if you're if you're haphazard with uh, you know the the effort and the uh, um, uh, activities that mm-hmm. re- that build health, then your your health uh, improvement is going to be haphazard. It's all going to be reflective. Uh, one of the problems I think that modern medicine has is that there's no patient involvement. Right. Um, you know, the, the Do doc literally just writes a script. Right. 
uh, and the the timing involved is such that that's all he has time to do anyway. And this has been a part of medicine for decades. I remember as an intern, I used we used to we had a certain variety of drugs that we used for high blood pressure. Fen- Phenobarb, uh, diazide, and you know several of these drugs. That and as an intern, I would write out the scripts with the number of pills, how many times to take it, and sign it. And the only thing I needed was the patient's name. So I was noted to be one of the faster interns in clinic because I just would pass out the scripts real fast. That's all we did anyway, and it has gotten to be more of that kind of medicine and I'm not talking about not spending time with the physician I'm talking about the physician not involving you in any of uh, what is required for the maintenance and the uh, for what is required to get health and right. what is required to maintain health it's just prescription drugs and prescription drugs are not the way to health they are not the way to build health so it's the patient involvement which is very central to to the patients that we uh, uh, in treat now. In fact, we 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 kind of run a school. Oh, you have a whole health. experience. I mean, from the chocolate bars each week to the you know, the, the oh, yes. walks after each meal yeah. to the eating together. I mean, it's a whole experience there. It is, and um, this is how you build habits: is to is to get involved in something where you're doing it, and then you continue to do it, and then the patients that come back, they come back for a couple of reasons. They come back because we have therapies there that they can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, but a lot of them come back just to re um, up their um, their right. motivation, right. and um, so. Physicians today don't involve themselves in patient activity when it, you know, in other words, I want you to check on your diet, I want you to fill out this exercise program, I want you to bring it back, I want you to, you know, to check with us to see how you are doing on your weight loss and, and, uh, so they don't have that in modern medicine now. They basically just get prescription drugs. Well, it's that time of the year when all of us read, all of us see, all of us hear, it's time for your flu shot. And I wanted the opportunity to talk about this because there is just a disconnect between what I've read um, in the U.S. literature today versus the Brits. Uh, The Brits um, at the BBC have published some interesting literature, actually done in this country, Dr. Whitaker. George Washington University has published a study. It's published in a prestigious journal, Lancet Infectious Disease. And actually confirms an earlier British Medical Journal study that vaccinating seniors against flu doesn't work. The benefits greatly exaggerated. Yet everything in the U.S. literature today continues to say it's time for seniors to get their flu shots. I have not given a patient a flu shot and I haven't taken a flu shot in 25 years. And I will never do it. The risk far outweigh the benefits. And secondly, there is, there are easier ways to handle the flu anyway. Um, first, the flu shot is, does it work? The death rate in older people is the same, whether they get it or not. In meta-analysis, it doesn't even reduce the flu substantially or, or, or statistically significantly. And so it doesn't work. But the risk of side effects, I went to a wedding uh, two years ago, and there was a physician there from my location, 
an orthopedic surgeon, took a flu shot. Two weeks later, had a just a neurological meltdown mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. Oh, he goodness. knew, the doctor knew, it came from the flu shot. Mm-hmm. You know, this aberrant uh, immune, res- uh, 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 immune response uh, accident. Well, why take that kind of chance, even if it's a very small chance? But I, I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of things that happen with flu shots that people don't hear about because they're not reported and they're not uh, publicized. But anyway, you're taking this chance with the flu shot when you have a safer way to reduce flu. And that safer way to reduce flu would be taking vitamin D. You know, if we look at when, when do we have flu? We have flu February, March, January, February, March. Sure. These are the shortest days of the year. These uh, are, we are exposed to far less ultraviolet light. And even when we're in the sun, we're wrapped up. So we have this shutdown of sunlight-induced vitamin D. We just don't get any. And so everybody's vitamin D level drops. And vitamin D is essential for many of the immune responses that are, that are happening in the lungs. I mean, it, it is, uh, vitamin D is not just for bones, but it is for the immune system as well. And so there have been studies to show that if people are taking, say, 2,000 units of vitamin D per day during the flu season, or what we do at Whitaker Wellness sometimes is just give people 50,000 units a week during the flu season, you know, five or six mm-hmm. weeks of uh, 50,000 units of vitamin D, you know, we protect them. I haven't had the flu in 25 years. I don't expect to get it. I'm not afraid of the flu. Um, and I don't expect, the, but I don't expect to get it because I will maintain high levels of vitamin D, a lot of vitamin C, you know, uh, a lot of fluid. But basically, it is that vitamin D which is the most likely um reason for the flu because it occurs worldwide in the northern latitudes you know higher in the more northern latitudes um, uh, because of the absence of the UV light and the absence of the uh, vitamin D production uh, some you know we don't have flu season in in July you know we we are out in the sun of course the interesting thing is looking at vitamin D in people over the age of 60, we find just, I mean, 75% of women over the age of 60 in this country, vitamin D deficient. 63% of men over the age of 60 in this country, vitamin D deficient. Um, you know, if we really want to optimize, uh, you know, people of this age range health, look at their vitamin D, Dr. Yeah, Whitaker. I think what we have is an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency. Yes, we do. Absolutely, it's an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency, and it's going to lead to um, you know the high frequency of vitamin D deficient uh, uh, diseases. One of them would be flu. True. Um, and you know there would be perhaps osteoporosis is intimately related to the low vitamin D level. But to to um, uh, stabilize and to provide enough vitamin D, uh, it's very easy to do. All you have to do is take it, by, take it in a pill. And um, it's in multiple vitamins, but it's not in it uh, enough, right. and we don't take multiple vitamins regularly enough to keep our vitamin D levels up. So I, we routinely recommend to go and get vitamin D by itself 
during the flu season to be sure you're getting enough. Now, recently, Creighton University said we could prevent as much as 85,000 cases of, of colon cancer, 250,000 cases of breast cancer annually. Um, if people would take, you know, 2,000 or more units of uh, vitamin D daily, I'm, I'm struck by this, this George Washington University study just out today that despite um, increasing uh, vaccinating seniors with the flu shot from a rate of 15% in 1980, Dr. Whitaker, to today's 65%. The mortality among seniors has increased due to the flu during that same very time. And, it, <laughs> so and of course, the moral of that is stay away from the vaccination. Exactly. But you see, the drug companies make a huge amount of money from the vaccinations. Yeah. So it's a high-profit item, with, and they don't really have much uh, liability because the government has taken over the liability um, to provide them the access or the reasons to continue to do what they do. They just say, okay, we'll take responsibility for your mistakes if you just keep vaccinating people. Well, that's just a carte blanche. Um, for the for the uh, companies to, you know, come forth with vaccinations for everything, mm-hmm. if they're not taking the liability res- uh, responsibility. And the so company, vaccinations, they, you know, that we've gone autism. We've discussed this. Autism has gone from one in two thousand to one in ninety nine in New Jersey. You talk about an epidemic. This is a fifth. 15,000% increase, and it is tracking directly the increased use of all of these vaccinations in children. We are wiping out an entire generation of children with these vaccinations. It's just unbelievable. And you know, yet only the BBC had the courage to uh, to, to print the accompanying editorial uh, in this Lancet Infectious Diseases. It was written by Dr. Tom Jefferson of the Cochrane Library, who just a year ago looked at all the literature out there about flu shots and concluded that in seniors and in children, those two you know supposedly very vulnerable populations, there was no scientific evidence that flu shots caused them to live longer or live better. In fact, he was quoted in today's BBC as saying, could governments be courageous and honest enough to reassess their cherished policies about flu vaccines, Dr. Whitaker? Well, it's not so much the government's cherished policies as it is the drug interest cherished policies. It becomes a government cherished policy because the people who are donating to governments are doing the flu shots. So it all starts and ends with the incentives and the um, activities of the of the pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. Um, governments can uh, limit them, but they won't because um, the uh, large pharmaceutical companies control the government. Right. Um, the, I think the only way to limit the flu shots is for people, individual people, to get a clue, figure it out. You know, look at some of this information. Make an informed decision. Say no to your doctor when you honestly believe that your doctor's wrong and he's wrong when it comes to recommending these flu shots. Hey, last year when they had, remember we had the flu vaccine shortage. I got oh, on, yeah. I got on the on the airways and volunteered to give somebody my dosage, Doctor Whitaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I know that there was a. Um, uh, a senator who his whole staff did not take the flu shot and everything, you know, because there was a shortage. Everything was fine. 
No, nothing happened. <laughs> so given, you know, that in certain latitudes, the Seattles, the Bostons, the Chicago, uh, you know, declining sunlight, do, uh, you know, certain latitudes need to start taking more vitamin D? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, the amount of vitamin D that I would recommend you take from beginning in November and going through maybe uh, March or April mm-hmm. would be 2,000 units a day. Okay. That would be, you know, that's, it, and vitamin D is so, it's non-toxic. It doesn't have any significant side effects. The only side effects that vitamin D has are actually its physiological reaction on calcium and, and, and mineralization. Mm-hmm. You know, very large amounts of vitamin D, uh, you know, 100,000 units every day or something like that, could cause the vitamin D action to, uh, you know, to affect the calcium and the the bones in a negative way. Well, that thought will pick up when we return. Dr. Gene Whitaker joining us today. Alternatives to that flu vaccine. Your health care questions on Healthy Talk Radio. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, worldwide, whenever and wherever you need us, at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Now, here's Julian Whitaker, M.D., America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray. The topic at hand today, that flu vaccine. Are you going to line up for yours uh, today? What are the treatment alternatives? Uh, America's Wellness Doctor, Julian Whitaker, M.D., uh, talking with us about vitamin D. Uh, given the fact that uh, so many people in this country, vitamin D deficient, of course, uh, during this time of the year, uh, we're much more likely to be vitamin D deficient. And, 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 you know, the unfolding literature about vitamin D, I mean, even people who have, you know, seeming unrelated, uh, you know, I'm struck by, you know, some of the case histories in the conventional literature, the people that have chronic aches and pains, unsteadiness on their feet, muscle aches, um, that may be related to, to even to vitamin D deficiency, Dr. Whitaker. Yes, it could be. And um, you can rest assured that if you're not taking some supplemental vitamin D, you are going to be vitamin D deficient in the wintertime, period. You just don't get it enough from, from food. We have put it in milk, but it's not... You know, everyone doesn't drink milk, doesn't take dairy products. The amount in there is not that uh, is not enough to really give a substantial or physiologic dose. You're going to be vitamin D deficient, and you're going to suffer consequences of that. And it's so easy not to be vitamin D deficient. It's inexpensive. It's available. It's in in drugstore sections of um, uh, uh, where you have vitamins uh, availability. Uh, it's usually uh, complex with uh, vitamin D and calcium and magnesium, which is a good way to maintain your, the strength of your bones. Uh, so there are ample uh, avenues for protecting yourself with, um, with vitamin D, and all you have to do is do it. Just very simple thing. Of course, all the reasons in terms of prostate cancer reduction, breast cancer reduction, colon cancer reduction, side benefits start to this is the, This <laughs> is the uh, Dr. Whitaker, Deborah Ray, vitamin D hour. Absolutely. Every day we come up with new information on the values of vitamin D. It's amazing. You know, uh, Dr. Michael Hollick, uh, uh, Boston University um, uh, Vitamin D Research Lab there, says we should really rethink what the, you know, the recommended intake. I know some people oh, call yes. that RDA. Yeah. <laughs> really dumb amount of, of vitamin D that's really not sufficient, Dr. Whitaker. I really wonder how guys tied in to these universities survive 
emotionally because they know what's right, they know what could be done, and they can see the the um, uh, the gauntlet that must be traversed before you can make any significant changes in policy. It must drive them crazy. So that's why we like uh, people like Dr. Abramson, who have the courage of their convictions right. to speak up. <laughs> Dr. Whitaker, great information. Our thanks to you. My pleasure. Nice being with you, Deborah. Our thanks to each and every one of you. If you missed anything today, just keep in mind, you can share it, re-listen again, the show archive for two weeks, HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy.